Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk About Thrones, 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 Game of Thrones, Thrones, Game of Thrones, Thrones. And this is so cool because along with my co-host, Richard Gunther, and Sarah Anthony of TBD Alaska, where they had a 7.0 earthquake, but miraculously nobody really got hurt, which is amazing. So, hey, low impact, low population density, smart people. Uh, So big (laughs) shout out to that. Uh, We are in a very exciting time for this podcast. Do you know why, five listeners? Are you aware of why? It is because we actually have a month and a year for the return of Game of Thrones. And that month and the year, April 2019. So now we actually have to show up to our job with startling regularity <laughs> and do episodes of Game of Let's Talk About Thrones. So without further ado, uh, let us go to episode, I believe we're at 407. It is called Mockingbird. And then we will be talking about 408, The Mountain and the Viper. Nothing exciting there. Uh, And (laughs) uh, here we shall start, as we often do, if not in exact chronological order, with Tyrion and Bronn. Richard, would you like to tell everybody what happens in the cell of Tyrion Lannister? This is an unexpected and wonderful scene, right? Like, I always love scenes with Tyrion. And we usually get amazing dialogue. What we got here was him at his low point. And, uh, you know, he and basically uh, he is trying to find somebody that can fight for him because he knows he can't. And and yeah. he is not in a position to win this on his own. And his guy, Bronn, would be compromised if he were, in fact, to fight for him. So he won't. Yeah, because he's been bought off by Cersei Lannister and made a lord. Which, you know, that that makes sense. But it's it's understandable. And Tyrion is also sad. Yeah. But that is not the only visitor. Who comes to the cell of Tyrion Lannister? Jamie. Yeah. Well, also Jamie. Who um, also can't fight for him. Who, who also al- can't fight for right, him. Right. Right. That would be a major conflict of interest. Well, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The conflict being Jamie's missing his right arm. <laughs> well, yeah. That might not be the. But best. he's learning. He right. He's still trying to learn how to use his other arm. Not very well, but he's trying. Yep. Um, but then there is. A third visitor. And this third visitor, when I first saw this episode, I had no idea who the hell he was. I had no idea why he mattered, even though he'd already appeared in several episodes. My mind would just gloss over Oberyn Martell, because while he was quite good looking, I just didn't understand his significance at all in this story. Because it is, it's like, and then his sister of the brother of the person of the person was killed. So... Anthony, would you like to clarify uh, Oberyn Martell for us? And and by the way, like the thing that I love about this, right, is that you see him going in there and you're like, well, why? Like, why would he be visiting him? This doesn't even make any sense. This this is actually a great 
uh, conversation that takes place because Tyrion also doesn't know why he would be there. Right. And right. Like they don't get along. These families right. do not at, get at along. all. And uh, one of the lines that Oberon uses during during that conversation is, "It's rare that I meet a, a Lannister that hates Lannisters as much as I do, or once Lannisters dead as much as I do." Um, right. Sen- Classic frenemy. Yeah. The enemy of my enemy is my frenemy. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, uh, so, so essentially, Oberon is there because Cersei has chosen uh, the Mountain as her as her champion, and Oberon wants the mountain to pay for killing his sister and the uh his niece's niece and nephew i think it's i think it's niece yeah. and nephew um during the the raid of casterly rock back at the end of the um uh uprising so oberon is like well this just fits right perfectly into my plan i can take out the mountain get him to name uh who ordered him to to kill my sister and my my uh my niece and nephew and that can you know, then I can I can change that into a pursuit of the rest of the Lannister family, and we'll just go on from there. Like it, it, it suits him perfectly well. Hmm. And in telling Tyrion why he's doing this, like even before he does that, he completely connects and earns Tyrion trust. Tyrion's trust by kind of retelling a story that. That Tyrion's aware of already. Like Tyrion already knows that he was thought of as a monster and everybody hated him. And uh, we see the scene where Oberyn tells of his hearing of this monster and he came to see the monster and it was just a baby. It was Tyrion. And it, it brings Tyrion to a point of like kind of complete i i don't even know what the right word is it's not a low point but just like he he can't he's completely lost but it's kind of like a, a nice moment where he realizes that oh wow this guy this guy who's my enemy just kind of validated me yeah in a way that my own family will not yeah and you know that's the thing about Oberyn is he's full of passion, but he's also full of heart, and um, that's why he's such a hunk. Sorry, uh, <laughs> what shows us? Okay, so that that sort of, uh, unless anybody else has anything to say about it, uh, completes the Tyrion's prison portion of the show. Um, <laughs> followed by, we're going to take a brief interlude, adult interlude to Marine. Uh, in which Daenerys is chilling in her private chambers, and oh, there's Dario Naharis, who's the third, third and final Dario Naharis, we think. Uh, in talking about shows. hunks, yeah, talk about hunks, and Dario's doing his like, uh, bro, bro, complaining thing, bro, planing. No, that's not quite right. <laughs> uh, talking about you know he he wants to kill people or he wants to sleep with people but he's not being able to do either and uh his second sons are unhappy being the police i mean this is like all sort of um uh uh banter pre-coital banter because this scene ends with uh uh implied action where she's basically like shut up and take off your clothes that's right which you know sure Right. Um, he, he he obliges willingly. He obliges willingly. Uh, 
Which is, is, am I dumb or is that the first time that's happened in this? Between is this them? the first time between them? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they have, I, f- I feel like they kissed at one point when it was a different Dario. Right. But this is the first time that they have bumped dragons. I believe yeah. so. <laughs> oh, yes. this is, I believe this is the first time she's bumped dragons with anyone since. That's right. Since um, her, the untimely demise. The Aquaman. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Uh, no, that's not his name. Sorry. What was his name? Is that right? Aquaman. Dro- Jason Momoa. Drogo. Aquaman. Cal Drogo. <laughs> Dead. Um, so, okay. So the next morning, Dario Naharis, ever the gentleman, uh, runs into Sir Jorah and basically is like, yeah, just fuck the queen. And... <laughs> It uh, didn't quite go it, down like that. It was, it was more unsubtle. like, oh, sorry, don't mind me while I'm putting my clothes back on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Some business happens and who cares? That is my take on this, unless you have a different theory. Like, some business happens and who cares? Yeah, I, I think that's true. Do you want to follow through on the next interaction between... Jorah and Danny. Well, I'd like you to do it. Oh, all right. So I'm a little bit uh, rusty on the details here, but at some point in time, um, Danny finds out that Jorah has essentially betrayed her. If I have this right, oh, that in sharing information about. Her pregnancy? Do I have that? That's right? because someone slips Barristan Selmy a letter, which is the pardon for Jorah Mormont, and goes and tells Jorah about it, and then tells Danny, and then Jorah confronts Danny, and Danny is basically like, "You don't deserve to die in my city, so you have until dusk to leave, or I will send your head to the Slavers Bay." Right. So does that happen here, in this episode for uh, reals? Yeah. He. Yeah. She, he. She banishes him, and here he just he just wants to be there for her. He just he wants to protect her. He, he wants to be there, and this in in four oh eight he uh, is banished by her. Oh, four, we're talking about 408 now. I got confused. Well, yeah, I mean, because I, I yeah. mean, the, it's basically the next step in their relationship that carries through in this double episode arc. Right. Yeah. So basically, he's banished for trying to kill her. Banished. Very and, good. And not even for, for trying to kill her, but for um, lying about it. Like, hey, I used to have a job before you. And it was to try to kill you. But now I work for you would have been a fine summation of, you know, things. Maybe if shared earlier, right? Yeah. That might be good information to let your boss know. Look, boss, I have to confess. There was a point in time when I was hired to kill you. And it's basically the whole reason that I showed up. But I basically decided that you were awesome. And I really also want to have sex with you. So please be (laughs) assured that I am no longer going to kill you because those guys are jerks. Do you forgive me? <laughs> uh, 50 lashes. Yes, you are forgiven. Well, now ex- it's a whole thing. Except not forgiven, right? It, right. Well, it's like no, begun. if he had said it before, he would have been forgiven. And now oh, right. he's not forgiven. He's booted. Too so, late. Always tell the truth ahead of. Always apologize in advance. And Too late. Your, your honesty will set you free or at least not get you killed. 
And I have not watched ahead, but I'm hoping that's not the end of that storyline between them. You never see Jorah Mormont again. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay. So, dump, dump, da da dump, dump, da da jub, jub, ba da jub, jub. We're back to Dragonstone, where Melisandre, how young and vital and lithe she is, is enjoying a bath. Uh, and Queen Celise, who's sort of like, Queen Celise reminds me of like the uncool girl in high school that was like, this is the weird goth girl and I'm just going to fall in love with her. Like that deal, um, goes to Melisandre while she's in the bath and they talk about stuff and how the priestess slept with her husband, which is like super cool. That's fine by her. Um, but then she says something that will, you know not be the end of it, uh, is that Celise wants to leave Shireen behind when they make their plan to go north. Mm. Um, and because, you know, she thinks Shireen, I guess, isn't worthy enough or something. But uh, Melisandre says, you know, Shireen will be important where they are going. And so that, I'm sure, only good things will come from just, that. Just before that, just before that, she says... Uh, when they when they're talking about um, Stannis and the Red Woman being together, the the Queen says, "No action done in the no action done for the will of the Lord is is a sin or something to that effect." And then they talk right. about Shireen having to go with them, and it's it's just like man, the foreshadowing here is thick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I also just mention how oddly sexual? this meeting mm-hmm. was everybody wants to have sex with melisandre <laughs> why i don't get it why well you know she's a creep she's very naked <laughs> and she has the magics yeah okay i yeah it's a spell I, I, it's got to be because uh, as the uh yeah uh, no token straight boy on the podcast? right as the as the uh <laughs> As the sole person uh, uh, who's been watching women my entire life, I can say that I have no, have never had any sort of attraction to her, especially compared to the other women on the show. It's just she's not. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's just because you know what she it's, really. It's got to be a spell. <laughs> okay, so um, there's a little bit of business at Castle Black where John and the brothers come back from Craster's Keep. And uh, they're not so fond. Uh, Alice or Thorn, noted Castle Black dick bag, uh, sends Ghost away uh, because they didn't want a big bad wolf inside the keep. Um, John tries to convince the Night's Watch that bad things are coming and they should block off the entry. And then he's told to go shove it. You're just a kid. And um, blur, blur, blur. And then John and Sam are sent to the top of the wall. Do we have any thoughts? This is just placeholder really. Yeah, and it's it's so much more of the same, right? Nobody wants to take John seriously, even though he knows really more about what's going on than anybody else there. Yep. History of my employment history right there. Entire <laughs> Jenny Josephson employment history right there. I identify with this short curly-haired man. Uh, anyway, it's fine. Uh, so then you have actually two pretty famous scenes right back to back. Okay. So um, we start with this, just this 
Mm. You've got the Arya and and um, uh, the Hound uh, are in this village, and there's a dying man, and uh, he get uh, the Hound stabs him in the heart, uh, and then there's this biter guy, and I don't know. It's just like you start to see the Hound behave like a human being, right? Um, because Arya won't, she won't let Arya like cauterize a room, a a a. A bite that he got from a character who's oddly enough named Biter. Mm. Did you know? <laughs> He's called Biter. Guys. Like, right? I did not know. That's crazy. And Arya kills him. Uh, and so, uh, well, uh, so, you so know, the, they, they have a moment. So I the guess. way that it goes down is that. Um, yes, help me, please, uh, because that was terrible. I'm the, sorry. The Hound and Arya are, they approach a, a, a fire and like what used to be a hovel, and this old man is dying. The Hound helps him die by stabbing him in the heart. He tells Arya that's where the heart is. Um, and then as they're getting up to leave, this dude attacks the hound. You know, Biter attacks the hound from behind, biting his neck. The hound reaches back, snaps the, the biter's neck, drops him to the ground. There's another guy standing there. It's someone that um, Arya recognizes from the cage when they were heading north to the wall. One of the guys was saying how, how he was going to uh, uh, sexually molest her like every which way. And... There's this little joke in there where, you know, the hound says, well, is he on your list? And she says, well, no, because I don't know his name. So she asks him his name and he says it and she goes, thank you, and stabs him right in the heart. And <laughs> and, I, I, and she, she basically looks at, looks, at, looks at the hound like, is that where it is? And he's, he gives us this wire, wiry grin about, yeah, that's, that's how you do it. And then they move on. And that's pretty much the scene. But that scene... It shows that Arya is learning from the Hound, not just accompanying him. She's actually taking in these lessons. And that's the most direct uh, vision of it that we have. But she's learning little bits of it here and there. And they're still growing closer because a little bit later they tell the story about him not wanting to cauterize the wound because of the fire and how the mountain shoved his face down in the fire because he thought it stole his toy. And, And they're actually opening up and becoming more companions than they are captor and captive. Becoming more companions and becoming a little bit more like each other, if you will. Like the other thing that's interesting is you're seeing their kind of opposite transformations, right? He's becoming a little bit more human. She's becoming a little bit more of a killer. Well, she's a murder baby. Like (laughs) she is a murder baby and uh, he is her murder daddy. Like uh, (laughs) she gets a lot of instruction in in the murdering from him. Uh, And it's. It's uh, it's actually one of my favorite character relationships on this show, yeah. uh, even though you know it doesn't go on for forever. But it is it's, really great, and um, it, I don't know, I I Arya is on a journey, uh, one heart at a time. So uh, then the next thing to happen <clears throat> in the Riverlands um, is the inn where everybody knows your name. Uh, the inn at the crossroads, and uh, we we have the return of Hot Pie, who, as we know, is Arya's companion. Uh, they were all headed to the north, uh, when everything um was fresh and newly awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brienne, Brienne, and Podrick are there, and uh, Hot Pie, uh, he, Brienne is honest to Hot Pie and says, um, you know, I'm here to find Sansa Stark and protect her, and and Hot Pie says like the Starks are traitors and all this stuff, and Pod sort of yells at Brienne, like, stop being so honest. Stop telling everybody what you're really doing. You're going to get in trouble. 
But then Hot Pie comes back and gives them bread shaped like a wolf and gives them literally the most important information that nobody knows is that Arya Stark is alive, alive. which is like, which is huge. So, um, yeah. So then they basically change course and start heading for the Eyrie, which is where they believe that the Hound would take Arya to get a reward from her auntie, Lysa Aaron. So th- this is a moment where if you've read the books, you have a better insight than watching the show. Because watching the show, you see them coming to a Y in the path. They can either go to the left or to the right. But if you've read the books and you know the layout of the land and you've done a little extra show information gathering, you know that the one to the left actually heads north and the one to the right heads east, which takes you to the Erie. And they're having this conversation, and they don't really decide and say, hey, we're going to go here. But if you've done the research and you know the lay of the land, then you know when they took that path to the right, they started heading east towards the Erie, which is also where Arya and the Hound were headed. So you see a collision course in, in the making right there. Mm-hmm. But if you, but just watching the show, Richard, I'm sure you didn't see, like, okay, well, there's no signposts. Why are they, what's the significance of this why? Right. No, absolutely. However, by going in that direction, that takes us to the location of my favorite scenes in this episode. (laughs) So, uh, God bless the Eerie, uh, where things happen with a capital H. So, (laughs) Sansa and I guess her future husband, Robin, theoretically, right? Wasn't she going to marry Robin at some point? Yeah, Um, creepy. Creepy. And they're like building snowmen or snow castles. Snow castles. Sansa Sansa is building Winterfell out of the snow because this is the first time she's seen snow since she left Winterfell. And uh, she builds a, a replica of Winterfell in the little courtyard and Robin approaches. So basically Robin says, where's your moon door? Which is literally like the most uh, gross thing ever. And she says, you know, Winterfell doesn't need a moon door, but then they decide to add one because you do anything to shut up the bratty kid. And then he knocks over a tower and everything goes to hell. And then she slaps that little kid. And uh, Robin says, I'm going to tell my mommy. And, have a session with her booby and runs away. Um, and then lo and behold comes sneaky Peter Baelish, little finger sidles on up and says, don't worry, I'll deal with Lysa. Uh, and then just goes on the creepiest blippity bloppeting run where he's like, I should have been your father, but you know what? I'd rather kiss you. And he does. And of course, poor little Sansa Stark, who's just been boofed around everywhere, is so shocked that she doesn't resist, which is classically a thing that happens when old men try to kiss little girls. So fuck you, little finger from all of us. And of course, this is all witnessed by Lysa. Oh, boy. Things are coming to a head. Well, all all witnessed by Lysa, but... When Lysa sees them, it's at the moment where she isn't resisting, right? right? Where where Sansa isn't resisting. So it looks like they are kissing, not like he asserted himself on her. 
And yep. this scene is basically a, a microcosm of Peter Baelish's life. One person's sitting there doing something completely innocent. Another person comes along, complicates it. Someone else is watching and then goes in and adds their own complications. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, yet another person is watching that mm-hmm. happen. Like this is this is little Brian, fingers he existence makes good. in a nutshell yeah. in one scene. So Lysa is mad at Sansa and threatens to throw her out the moon door for kissing her love, Peter Baelish. But then Baelish shows up and uh, says, please don't mm. throw out the moon door. I'll throw her away. And she embraces Peter Baelish. Son- uh, Lysa does like, fine, I love you. And then he's like, I only ever loved you. Uh no, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, no, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. My favorite line. <laughs> only, I've got to yeah. quote it. I, only I have loved one woman. only loved one woman my entire life. Your sister. Push. Poof. Pushes her out the moon door. And the shot of her going out the moon door is just like the most surprised face you would ever make. It's like the face you would make if there was a truck coming to you or if you were falling out a moon door. So, yeah, that's a really great way to end an episode. Bye, Lisa Aaron. I did that whole touchdown, arms up in the air move when that happened. Yes. But Robin says, who's going to feed me now? (laughs) I only eat wet food. (laughs) Sorry. I can't get over it. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's just gross. There's so much about the eerie is gross. So many things, just the, the, and it's not gross in, yeah. in like a bloodshed kind of way. It's just creepy. Just it's so creepy. Now we are on to the mountain and the viper. Uh, okay, so we got a little business with Theon Greyjoy, uh, otherwise known as Reek, uh, and Reek pretending to be Theon. Yeah, briefly. Yeah, Reek, who uh, was Theon, pretending to be Theon. Reverting back to Reek, only to hold on to Theon long enough to be uh, to fulfill Reek's mission. Yeah, totally makes sense. <laughs> Just sadness, but also ugh, but also ugh. So basically, he lures them, uh, his own people, into a trap and uh, cuts them. Like Ramsay Bolton has them killed, so he helps Ramsay Bolton. Um, you know, well, take it's, out it's, a bunch of iron. It's born. still Ramsay Snow I'm sorry, at this time. At this point, I believe he's still Ramsay. Yeah, he's Snow. still Ramsay Snow at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, so I'm sorry, sorry, Ramsay Snow. But bad. that's a good transition because uh-huh. Roose Bolton returns, has him look a, look across the lands, and say, "Oh, it's hundreds of miles this way. You're still in the north. Hundreds of miles this way is still the north." And I am the warden of the north, and you help bring that to me. So from this day forward, you will be known as Ramsay Bolton. You are now my legitimized son. Hmm. Well, that'll turn out well. <laughs> yeah. And maybe he's just not quite aware that his son is a homicidal psychopath. Yeah. Or, or that's what he cherishes no, about him. I'm pretty sure he yeah. knows. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Anyway, this this scene, again, is more foreshadowing when, when it comes to the name change. Mm-hmm. So... There's a, there's a lot of foreshadowing in, in this season, actually. Yeah. Season foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So then there's a brief thing where uh, you greet and torment Giant Spain and the the Then um, kill everyone in Molestown. 
Except, but except, Ygritte finds Gilly, 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 hiding with her and Sam's uh, uh, baby. Although it's not Sam's baby, but uh, Sam's spiritual baby, and urges them to keep quiet and spares, spares the life of Gilly. Yeah. So why? There well, were other women there. Yeah, but that one is a baby. Um, she, <laughs> she's also not. Gilly doesn't look like the other women aesthetically, and she doesn't behave like they do. Otherwise, like she, she's she's clean. First of a all, wildling. Well, yeah, she's she's clean. She's holding a baby. She's not running or anything else. She's sitting there trying to keep her baby as safe as possible. Whereas all the other women there were, you know, disease ridden and disgusting. Because they're yeah. all the whores that just collected whatever trash came their way. Yeah. Okay, but that is not, I mean, it's not their current state of being that is why the wildlings went and killed everybody. They're just taking over yet another town. They're just asserting themselves. So I just, I just found that oddly, I just found it odd. I mean, it's convenient. It's nice. But I have a hard time justifying why that behavior occurred. Hmm. So basically back at Castle Black, Sam is super worried and everyone's trying to comfort him. And, you know, maybe they survived. But it means that uh, if Molestown has been destroyed, then Castle Black is next. And, you know, that's uh, that's not a good thing. So, yeah, they're setting up they're setting up some situations. Yep. So then we get to Marine. And I'm afraid we get to the parts where I'm a bad person. These are the parts where I, Jenny Josephson, am a bad, unevolved person. Do you, do you tune out? What, a little, why? A little bit. Yeah. Because while I applaud the few rare efforts to make people of color actually matter in this incredibly super white narrative called Game of Thrones, right? Um, I'm also secretly not that interested in the in the life of Grey Worm and Missandei as characters. Like, as characters, they... It, it's a very strange thing to me, and maybe it's just not my... I don't know. I have never been able to relate. I relate more to Missandei and Daenerys's like, sort of sister sisterhood and right you know and i relate to gray worm and his um sort of fierceness and his all of his life story like i relate to all that but there is something about this that smacks of people being like oh shit we have to do something for a reason let's do this and it i it, it, i don't know it's always been a a a, a weak spot to me what do you guys so think? basically we we have the scene i mean just to kind of put some context on this we ah, have a scene context. where uh, he sees her naked and obviously very obviously watches and then apologizes for it later and she's like that's okay and they have this touching moment and i i guess i kind of had the same not exactly the same reaction, but I did have the thought coming out of this, like, why why are we even seeing this? Like, why is this 
a part of this storyline. Why does their relationship matter? I can't imagine that their relationship is really that important to the storyline. It feels like somebody gave um, what's their faces a serious talking to the showrunners of the show. It's like, are you aware <laughs> that you have no diversity at all (laughs) and your diverse people actually in the show are really just always at the beck and call of the white people like somebody sat them down like by this point all the articles were coming out they were like wow this show is heck of white uh but it, it it to me and this might just show my issues and problems like it wasn't a a storyline that captured my imagination so there you go is this something that they explore in the book don't remember and i and and i haven't read that far um yeah oh so that's a good question the the thing about this relationship though isn't that it's necessarily artificial but it really feels to me like a seed that's planted now for something dramatic to happen later but having watched the next three seasons and it hasn't come to any sort of fruition. Like I'm wondering if maybe this seed just got forgotten and ran fallow, but I can see this being, you know, starting, starting something to, to happen later. It just, it hasn't happened yet. So I think there's like a a shallow feeling there. That is, yeah, it feels tacked on uh, in a way that many other things do not. Um, And I hope that it gets somewhere eventually. Yeah. Um, it has potential, but so, the potential has not been yeah. realized. Like I, I again, and I love all their backstories, and I love everything. I just, um, I don't know. It's, it's complicated. It may just not be a story for me, and that's, you know. On on the on flip me. side, it is. Uh, I think one of only two chances that you ever get to see Masande nude, which is is mm. the highlight of the visual effects for me in this entire show. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thankful for the scene, even if it is misplaced and misguided. Yes. What's funny is I don't even remember that. You wouldn't. Aren't we all just different people? <laughs> 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 all right. So uh, then we've got um, uh, the moment that we discussed before in which Barristan Selmy gets this you know the royal pardon and we've sort of discussed this Mm -hmm. and jorah is out and it's all very sad and oopsie doopsie um honesty pays yeah that and it's, it's funny because this scene and then the i believe it's i believe it's the scene like two sets later or whatever uh two scenes later where Arya and the Hound approach the gates at the Eyrie, and is they 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 kind of mirror each other. And one you can see a city in the background as Mormont is is riding his horse away, and it's in the darkness, and it's this sullen music and this sullen mood, and you're just you're sad for him. And then right after that, you have the Hound and Arya finally reaching the 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 blood gates to the Eyrie. And it's bright, and they're talking, they're they're having their little banter back and forth, and they come up to the gate, and um, you know they ask, "Well, who is it that's approaching?" He's like, uh, "It's I'm I'm uh, you know Sander yeah Sander Clegane, and with me is Arya Stark, uh, niece of Lysa Aaron." And they're like, "Well, we're, we send our condolences, but Lysa Aaron died some three days ago." And the final feeling of that is the sound of Arya's 
absolute laughter at the hound's luck that they finally get to where they're going and it still can't pay off because the person you're trying to sell me to died. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the only person, and this is yet another thing where like Starks cross in the night because up there, right at the same time, Sansa is giving quite the performance in which she is saving Littlefinger's butt um, because uh, these Lords of the Vale are rightly suspicious mm-hmm. that uh, Littlefinger who just showed up killed Lysa Arryn. And she reveals that she's Sansa Stark and tells about how Lysa was such a crazy lady, which they already know, um, and changes a couple of details. And yeah, but at the same time, her own sister is downstairs, and but nobody knows that Littlefinger's niece, Elaine, is actually Sansa. Right. So yeah, that is um, a problem. And that scene where they're basically questioning her uh, that's a kind of a a little bit of a delightful surprise right mm-hmm. like we think for a minute there that Littlefinger finally dug himself a little bit too deep and he doesn't have the opportunity to worm his way out of this by maybe prepping Sansa or talking to her and, and bringing her in. They insist on handling her separately. And magically, she knows exactly the right thing to say. And their stories align perfectly to protect him and, in kind, protect her. Right. Because without him... Then what happens to her? This this right. is uh, Sansa taking all the lessons that Peter's taught her, all the little things that she's learned along the way, and passing the, her first test. And may I say, for the first time in any scene I've ever seen her in, finally doing the right thing. She's finally playing the game. Maybe Maybe the second scene, because she did at one point say how Joffrey was a monster. That that did occur at one point right. in time. Olena Tyrell. Yeah. Tyrell. Tyrell. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, and this is this is Sansa finally playing the game, which is really awesome. And in the story of Sansa, she has one more lesson to learn before she can graduate the school of Game of Thrones. Eesh. Count me out for those episodes, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, me too. Uh, okay. Richard would just have to do so, those episodes by himself. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Fun. Um, okay, so the moment you've all been waiting for, let's get ready to rumble in King's Landing, <laughs> <laughs> where Tyrion and Jamie are having a drink in Tyrion's cell and talking about the simple days, the better days, when they used to just torture their simple-minded uh, cousin Orson. And um, then... You're in the battle arena, and there's uh, the mountain, Gregor Clegane, wearing all this armor and looking pretty scary. And um, then there's Oberyn in sort of like his light armor. And, uh, you know, Grandmeister Pycelle, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, what's his name? The Vince, uh, God, I just blanked on his McMahon. name. From wrestling. Yeah, Vince, uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway. Grandmaster Pistel starts the speech, uh, and then 
Tywin says, just get on with it. And they do. <laughs> and basically, it's your classic battle between uh, heavy armor and brute force versus uh, light uh, on your feet, dancing around, uh, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Um, and so it's your, it's just classic two different styles. And it seems like Oberyn, against all odds, is going to win. Yeah. But he then, lets himself... Yeah. Get a little bit too cocky and emotional, and too emotional, and stand too much on his principle. Yeah, we really just stand stand too close as to the victim. Out, <laughs> yeah, was a huge mistake because um, Oberyn, while he's doing all his speechifying, is too standing close to the mountain, and the mountain trips Oberyn, and then just pummels the living patoots out of him. Ugh. It just just admits for everyone that he did all this terrible stuff to Oberyn's sister and then crushes Oberyn's skull in his hands. Probably the most horrific scene I have watched in Game of Thrones yet from a violence perspective. Yep. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> but, I, I mean, it doesn't go the way you expect it to. It's horrible, mm-hmm. but it was a very, very well done scene and incredibly shocking. And ultimately, I loved this episode because of how it ended. I just did not see that coming. Yeah, with with mm-hmm. Tywin saying, Tyrion Lannister, the gods have chosen. You are hereby sentenced to death. Yeah. yeah. Craziness. That is deep. Um, one thing that we missed is that Robin and Peter have a little talk about Robin going out and seeing the countryside of the Erie and getting out of the out of the castle for the first time like ever in his life. And Robin says how he's afraid he might die because people die outside of castles in the countryside. And and Peter says people die every day. People die here. People die there. People die squatting on their chamber pots. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) Another moment of direct foreshadowing that it will, will come to a head very soon that is just amazing. On the head, no less. Sorry. Okay. So we're getting away from our promise. there a little bit, I think, but that's okay. But you don't know what we're talking about. We could talk about 17 seasons from now. We could talk right. about stuff well, in the book. And so, like, it's funny. I didn't really think anything of that scene. What I took away from that scene was basically Littlefinger strategically getting rid of Robin. That's yeah. really all I saw there. Yeah, that's essentially all it was. In, in, in until you've seen somewhere uh, else that the words that he uses are very particular, and his words come back to get him several times and put him in sticky situations. Uh, mm-hmm. This is just the first one of them that I really noticed. Like, oh my gosh, I hadn't seen that before. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's so, why it was worth noting. The penultimate two episodes before the actual penultimate episode before the final episode of season four of Game of Thrones has been properly addressed. Final thoughts? Uh, Loved it. This was without 
without question, this was my favorite episode pair of this season. Mm. Yeah, if, if you don't like these two episodes, then you don't really need to watch Game of Thrones. Because this, this is, yeah. un, it's not as good as it gets, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty indicative of the joy and the tumult that we all go through as, as viewers of the show. Yep. Head squishing tumult. Sounds like a Christmas drink. Um, anyway, so uh, I wish all of you out there in Westeros and Essos and uh, Old Valria and all of those fine places a fond farewell for now from us, uh, Sir Anthony, Sir uh, Richard, Richard, and uh, Lady Jenny. Uh, we all made it despite our various ailments. And uh, I bet there is some stuff that you could say about this show if you knew it. Does anybody know it and want to share it? Let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. If you are alive and you're not a Nightwalker <laughs> and and you like this show, just say, all you have to do is press one. Just press one and send just to let us know that you are one of the people that listens to this show. Yep. So um, anyway, that's all for us. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, the next time we all gather together around the fire to speak of things in the Game of Thrones. Bye. See ya. Squish. <laughs> <laughs>